hi, my name is Isabel and I'm your host for the ESG Quick Takes podcast brought to you by ESG Book. Today I'm speaking with Georg Kell. Georg is the founder of United Nations Global Compact, the world's largest voluntary corporate sustainability initiative. And today Georg is the chairman of Arabesque and chairman of the Volkswagen Sustainability Council. Hi Georg, really great to have you. Nice to have you, hi. So you've been working on corporate sustainability from the outset, basically before ESG became a thing and before it became mainstream. To start us off, can you walk us through some of the evolution of corporate sustainability as you've been part of this from the beginning? Well, I like to point out on occasions that it's not a new concept. Uh, Actually, in, in Chinese culture, it goes back to the governing principles a few thousand years ago. In India, for example, the Tatars have a 2,000-year-old claiming history that commits the company to community engagement and treating workers well. Uh, in Europe, in the in the medieval, in the Dark Ages, uh, in Germany, for example, the Ehrbare Kaufmann, the honorable merchant, was established and codified. And more recently, in the uh, anti-slavery movement and divestment uh, movements in South Africa against apartheid, we saw these concepts of responsibility uh, codified in other ways. And of course, faith-based organizations have long used uh, exclusion uh, uh, in their social responsibility conception. But more recently in the modern times, I think it's fair to say that corporate sustainability became a big issue in the, in the wake of globalization in the late 90s. That's when Kofi Annan challenged the business community to embrace universal principles to give globalization a human face. Many other initiatives were born around this time, GRI, for example, or here in the US, BSR, in Europe, uh, in many countries. And that's where the modern movement really kicked off. And I sometimes tell the anecdote of the CEO of uh, Nike, who at that point in time was heavily under pressure because of supply chain issue. When Phil Knight came to the launch event of the Global Compact, he inaugurated a new phase and they embraced the sustainability throughout their value chain, just as one example. Then um, 2004, I was lucky enough to convince former Secretary General Kofi Annan to invite asset owners and asset managers to a working group called Who Cares Wins? Uh, and that report basically gave birth to the ESG movement. A year later, in 2005, we launched um, PRI at the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, but not really much happened. I would say incremental progress. It wasn't until 2014, 2015, fairly recent, that the movement really took off. Why? because uh, with digitalization, it was possible to demonstrate a, a relationship between long-term value creation and safeguarding values on the one hand, and uh, good ESG environmental social governance factors on the other hand. In other words, corporate sustainability as a precondition for long-term success uh, was established in quantitative terms. And that's where Wall Street then jumped on and all the major financial places around the world. And today, one third of global manage, uh, professionally managed uh, funds uh, use some kind of ESG proxies. And at the corporate level, I would say there is not a single uh, major corporation anymore 
which does not pay attention to these issues. So we see now a mainstreaming of sustainability, uh, a true mainstreaming. And, and you mentioned Nike in, in your uh, in your example, and I'm sure there's many others. Um, could you expand on some of the companies that you've seen through, throughout your career? Really kind of cool examples of, of companies stepping up their game as it comes to sustainability. Well, I don't like to mention uh, companies usually, but I did mention Nike. I would rather make the following point. I think currently we are in the midst of a major, major transformation where basically all companies from all sectors are struggling to make themselves future-proof. And there are many ways to paraphrase this. My favorite one is to to talk about uh, we are moving from the industrial era into a future-fit era. And we don't really have a name yet, but we have some major characteristics. Companies on that pathway, they understand that future strategies are no longer the industrial era scale and scope only. They have to be digital, agile, smart, and resilient. Companies understand that labor force is not a cost factor, but it's part of their intangible assets. Environmental stewardship is no longer an externality you manage by minimizing compliance cost. It's something you understand as being a big transformative force in your operation. You look at raw materials no longer as dig them out, mine them, process them, use them, throw them away, but you are aiming at circular material flow. And of course, you're aiming at powering your operation with clean energy, most likely clean electricity. So these are the major transformations. And it's really driven by three big mega trends, which uh, are here to stay. One is uh, nature increasingly forces us to change course, whether we like it or not. Uh, There's a big issue with natural assets, with biodiversity, with global warming. Corporates understand that, so one has to act on that. The second one is technology, which really is the big accelerator in this, often forgotten by the sustainability movement, but fundamentally important because technology offers different pathways and options and smarter ways of doing things. And thirdly, more complex is social changes. But it's difficult to generalize because every market has its unique uh, characteristics. But by and large, one can argue what we witness today is that citizens, consumers individually increasingly want their values to be expressed in their economic transactions. That means there is a preference, a premium on good, sustainable behavior. And these three trends are irreversible. That's why I believe that this movement is not only here to stay, but it will deepen. That's a that's a very good sort of bridge to my next question because, you know, you describe the trends that will basically set us up for having corporate sustainability as a as an ever so important element of corporate life, um, but we also saw some strong sort of regulatory. Uh, backlash. Uh, we saw generally very a lot of regulatory movement around ESG and climate, um, and we saw a lot of net zero commitments, and then also some walking back on those. Um, now that ESG has become sort of too big to ignore, reflecting on all these developments, what are the main takeaways for you on this, and where do we stand generally on sustainability in the corporate world? 
Yeah, it's a very pointed question. And uh, I'm sitting here in New York in the US uh, where the backlash against ESG has taken on a circus-like uh, uh, attitude. Uh, on the one hand, you can laugh about it uh, because at the end of the day, it's about proper risk management and exercising your fiduciary duty. And uh, denying uh, environmental risks, for example, is reckless and <laughs> disqualifies any uh, executive. Uh, it's common sense. On the other hand, uh, uh, it's very unfortunate that this cultural uh, divide has has come in, but I think it's a it's a it's a thing that comes and goes because we see globally uh, a mega, these mega trends of of governments catching on. Uh, it's irreversible as well. Regulation is kicking in. The bad news is that it doesn't happen in a coherent fashion, but markets are increasingly fragmented. Uh, they no longer follow one level playing field rule alone. In today's new world, governments are back in the driver's seat. We have uh, rivalry again, sadly enough. We have power games being played again. We have war in Europe. Uh, nation states react differently. In general, they become more national and more selfish. Uh, governments are plowing in huge amounts of money to subsidize their champions and their industries. So the rule of law and the level playing field at the global level isn't really that robust anymore. But underneath all these uh, fragmentations and noises, uh, which come with every movement or change, you see the irreversible trends playing out, uh, technological change, driving smart uh, transformation uh, business models, you see uh, that externalities increasingly understood that one has to handle them, whether it's pollution or water scarcity. And I do like to believe that basic universals do right and do wrong things will not be forgotten, such as treating workers well, ending child labor and non-discrimination. So I like to believe, actually I'm convinced that despite all the noises, Despite all the waves that we see in an incoherent manner, the underlying message is very clear. Uh, technology will drive this agenda forward. Nature will increasingly force our hand and people individually will increasingly make value-based decisions. And that's why tools such as the ESG book are essential because they enable the bridge building between investors and companies. Mm -hmm and being technology and data-driven, I do believe, I'm convinced, it makes an important contribution. There's a lot of noise still, absolutely. And I think every major transformation uh, happens in a non-linear fashion, meaning you move back and forth at the same time, but you have to recognize where is the journey going to. And there, I have no doubt that the world will increasingly move into business models and investment models that promise to deliver a more sustainable future. Maybe we will be forced to act uh, before we act out of smartness ahead, but uh, it is happening. And regulation is kicking in, not just in Europe. Uh, we're waiting here for the SEC. In Asia, uh, my CEO, Omar Selim, just is in Southeast Asia, and the progress there is enormous in this region, for example. Uh, uh, regulators are catching up, uh, analysts are catching up, uh, and you need data, you need good quality data, 
ESG data does not yet have the quality of financial data. There are still many voids and many biases plugged into it, but it's getting better all the time. And I'm convinced that uh, over time, ESG data will increasingly be on par with core financial data. And at some point, they will be fully integrated. Because at the end of the day, it's about integration of what we haven't accounted for yet. It is about paying attention to what is important, but in our old mindsets, we just have not take care of it. So in that process is uneven, uh, uh, incoherent at some level. It goes forward in two steps and back in one step, but the basic direction is very clear. Sustainability is here to stay and it will be the only, only viable future model, both for business and investors. That's that's a strong message. I'd love to unpack with you one of the sort of, I would say, myths or convictions that often occur when people try to oppose sustainability with basically shareholder value maximization or generally the interest of shareholder versus sustainability. Could you explain how are these concepts at odds with each other or aligned? Uh, in the short run, you can always argue there are contradictory interpretations. You can argue, you find always uh, analysis, you can easily slice the pie in such a way that you show that, for example, ESG integration is associated with negative returns, destroys shareholder value. You can equally find uh, uh, the other examples. Uh, in my view, it's a question of timeline. Uh, time horizons matter a lot. Uh, and the sustainability agenda speaks to the long-term trends. It speaks to the long-term fundamental systemic changes. And the direction of these changes is very clear. So if you want to bet on a safe way and be future fit, there is no other option. A recent study by the former CEO of the Norwegian Fund uh, uh, concluded actually that uh, the inclusion of uh, risk factors associated with uh, ESG improves portfolios overall. But if you exclude purely on moral grounds, it actually has a negative impact. And that speaks to the issue of materiality, meaning uh, which of those uh, sustainability factors have a financial relevance already in today's world. Uh, and that agenda is obviously moving because we still do not account sufficiently for pollution, for example, for water consumption, for waste. Uh, and one can, with a certain degree uh, of certainty, assume that over time, these issues will become more relevant. So there's a question of ambiguity about assessments of the future. But make no mistake, the directionality is very clear. So in short, I would argue shareholder value uh, and sustainability go absolutely hand in hand. I also want to quote one fundamental study, which is not known in the public, but during my time as a, a executive director of the Global Compact, we commissioned a major, major study with a major leading global organization uh, to analyze all companies in, in the history, modern history, and uh, ask the question, what explains why some companies are successful for a long period of time whereas others only in the, for a short period of time. And the answer was overwhelmingly clear. Those which are successful for a long period of time are also good on environmental stewardship, on social uh, interaction, 
and on governance. In other words, good ESG is a necessary precondition for long-term success. And that is a fundamental insight. Then you can argue about the timeframes, short-term, medium-term, long-term. Absolutely. Right. So we will, we will see this over time playing out yeah. as, I guess, we also adapt our you know, fundamental perception of what a business should be and how it should behave in the, in the larger society. Very interesting. Um, to close us off, could you give us um, some of the developments that give you hope in this regard? You, you name the three trends that you think are very powerful in like leading sustainability trend. What makes you hopeful? Huh. It's not so easy to the, in these days, I must say, because I think politically we're on the wrong track, <laughs> quite frankly. Uh, the world is fragmenting. We are moving away from uh, multilateral international collaboration when the world actually needs more, not less, cooperation on health issues, on climate issues. So that is really the bad news. And uh, uh, finance... Uh, business technology increasingly is becoming a tool of power politics, which distorts markets enormously, uh, creates inefficiencies, uh, and ultimately also feeds into inflation. So that is the not so good news. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on the positive side, uh, no doubt uh, we will get used to more extreme weather. That's actually not good news, but a factual statement, I think backed up by science, but that also means that our our willingness and readiness to adopt and to change will increase, there's no doubt. And the really encouraging news for me is technology and the speed with which it is now employed to find solutions. Uh, Arabesque will later this year go public with an AI platform, and that is a breakthrough. I think there's just one application how through technology, you can really uh, uh, break down barriers and offer highly customized uh, services at low costs. So, and the space of technological change is not slowing down in times of uncertainty. On the contrary, it is increasing because barriers against change are being lowered. So there's a lot of good innovation going on. You also see deep green investment is accelerating. You see the huge uh, programs unfolding here in the US, uh, the IRA and Europe and elsewhere. So there's a huge momentum behind this agenda now. Uh, and that is very encouraging. And then, of course, my last hope is always the next generation. Uh, I'm now at a point where I could argue I have failed in my life uh, while I've tried, but I really was not part of a big transformation in this regard. Uh, but maybe the next generation uh, uh, understands that much better. So I hope that people individually will also be much more sensible and sensitized on these issues and make smarter choices. So that's another piece of hope. So in short, it's technology and people. And people. Well, that's a, that's a good call for all of us. Thank you so much for uh, being here with us today. This concludes the episode of the ESG Quick Takes. Put a link to your work in the show notes if people want to learn more about your views and so forth, because you've written also quite a bit. Thank you so much for listening. Until the next time. <laughs>